Okay, well, good morning. Good morning this Sunday morning, and we're delighted that you've uh, able to tune in. And we're trusting as we open the Word of the Lord that we'll be helped, and I hope you'll get your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to be studying, for the most part, from there. There are a couple other texts we're going to look at, uh, kind of included in our study briefly and uh, here in the first part of the study. But for the most part, we're going to be really uh, focusing in here on the book of Colossians. If you open your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that's where we'll begin our study and kind of give the springboard for what our lesson is about this morning. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is addressing the brethren in the city of Colossae. It's kind of interesting. I was actually in a Zoom meeting uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, in the Spanish-speaking brethren, and, and the brother made the comment, and I thought that was pretty interesting, that the word uh, Colossi really comes from where it's in the plural form. It's actually where we get the word, uh, where we get the word colossal. And I just thought that was interesting because when you study the book of uh, Colossians, Paul's going to kind of give a contrast. He's going to talk about human wisdom, which human beings, they kind of get all worked up in their mind about how great their wisdom is and, of course, the great concepts that emanate from God. When you look at the word colossal, uh, the word colossal is defined as huge, gigantic, big, massive, immense, enormous, mega. That we all, that's another Greek word, mega, being big. Uh, but when we think about colossal, we think about those things that are just humongous, uh, that are just so big. And, and certainly what we want to look at is uh, the title of our lesson, Colossal Concepts. Colossal Concepts. And we're going to be looking at them in particular here from chapter one in just a few moments. All right, first off, as I said, you kind of have a contrast in the things that are colossal in human wisdom. Uh, human beings, sometimes they think their wisdom is so grand and glorious and it's big and it's powerful and it's deep and it, it's colossal. But really, human wisdom is not colossal. When you compare it with the great wisdom of God, the intelligence of God, uh, uh, the wisdom of God, of course, that, uh, that we see that's going to be declared and talked about here in chapter 1, uh, really, human wisdom is really kind of, kind of, kind of puny, kind of small, and really, we just sort of study the great things of God, and uh, we get some great concepts. All right, let's notice here into chapter two, and see what we're talking about when we talk about human wisdom not being colossal, not being huge and humongous and great and marvelous. Uh, Paul says there in verse 1, he says, For I desire that uh, for you to know that, uh, what great conflict I have of you and for them of Laodicean, for as many as have not seen my uh, face in the flesh, that your hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches and full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's where... You have colossal wisdom is what's in Christ, what's in God. And then in verse 4 he says, And this I say, lest any man should deceive you with enticing words. There's the problem, human wisdom and, and human beings. We, we get elevated, we get all puffed up in our knowledge, in our wisdom. Dropping on down in Colossians, notice there in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, Beware now. You see, beware, like you put up the yellow caution tape. You need to be on guard or some danger. Well, what's the danger, Paul? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy 
Philosophy is just a, a word that means love of wisdom. That is human wisdom through philosophy and vain deceit, empty deceit. That is when people get all puffed up in their minds and they get elevated and they think, whoa, boy, what we're thinking and what we're teaching is just grandiose and it's marvelous and immense. No, Paul said, be, be careful because they're going to lead you down the wrong path. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And when you look in the first century and you read some of the epistles, the human wisdom that was quite prevalent was the Judaizers, that is, those who were trying to mix various laws of the Old Testament, bring them over into the gospel, and uh, sort of mixing the teachings of Jesus and the mixing of Judaism. Those were the Judaizers, and they were all puffed up. And then the Gnostics, that was a group that, that they felt their knowledge was so great. I mean, it was just so powerful and deep, and you know, only a select few is going to get this knowledge. Well, they're both wrong. And so Paul goes on to say here in chapter 2, notice down there after he talks in verse 16 and 17, talks about those parts of the law. Don't let anybody judge you in reference to them, like eat uh, food and drink and new moon, holy days, Sabbath days, etc., which were a shadow of what was to come. He says in verse 18, Let no man deceive you of your reward and a voluntary humility. Not true humility in the sight of God, but voluntary humility, putting on the pretense of being humble and the worship of angels, intruding in those things which they have uh, that he has not seen, vainly puffed up. The head gets elevated with, with human wisdom, human knowledge, thinking that they're so smart, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And that's the problem that human being and human wisdom and the isms uh, that we see prevalent today, like humanism and, and those who promote the general theory of evolution and redefining marriage and, and talking about all the genders when God simply made male and female and atheism, agnosticism, and uh, then you have the sectarianism and Calvinism and premillennialism and, and uh, environmentalism. That is where people are like, worshiping and hugging trees and uh, etc. Not, it's not the thoughts that emanate from God. It's not what God has ordained. And so people get all puffed up. And so Paul says, and not holding the head from whom all the body by the joints and ligaments having nourishment ministered and knit together increased with the increase of God. Therefore, if you, uh, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to the ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, uh, which things perish by, the using, uh, by using after the commandments and doctrines of men? See, that's the problem. The commandments and doctrines of men. Not resting upon the Word of God. Not resting upon divine knowledge. Not resting upon inspiration. Not resting upon what the Scriptures teach. But resting upon human wisdom human commandments, human teachings, which things indeed have a show of wisdom in self-imposed worship and humility and neglecting of the body is not any value to the indulgence of the flesh. So, here you've got Paul touching on it. And these are the two other passages I want to consider. Notice there in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. 
and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here you have human wisdom exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And people get thinking, oh, it's colossal, and, and they, they act so humble and so pious, and et cetera. But it's human wisdom based on human doctrines, human teaching, human uh, uh, traditions, etc. And the Word of God is going to pull it all down. It's going to cast these things down when we focus on the wisdom of the Lord, which indeed is colossal, which is humongous, which is, which is gigantic when you think about divine wisdom. And then one more text in Romans chapter 1, in verse 21 and following, Paul says, Because that when they knew, uh, knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is what happened when people rejects the knowledge of God and does not uh, recognize God, does not recognize His Word, does not recognize the Creator. Their hearts become darkened. So they think they're real smart. Maybe they, they've studied a lot. Maybe they've gone to colleges. Maybe they put hours and hours in to their cunningly devised fables. But in reality, their hearts darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We have a lot of people like that. That when you reject knowledge, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the scriptures and what God has revealed, no, I, we're, we're vain, we're empty. We're just simply being foolish. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image that's like unto uh, corruptible men and birds and four-footed uh, creatures and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the, uh, 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 the lust of their flesh, of their own hearts, uh, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God. So here's the problem. When people pursue after human wisdom, they exchange it for the truth of God. Okay, we reject God, and we're going to accept our wisdom and our thoughts. We think we, we're, we're smarter than God, and that happens. Anytime you reject the Bible to accept your own ideas, you think you're smarter than God. And so who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Yeah, human beings, we, they, you know, we sometimes get puffed up thinking that we're really smart and we have great wisdom and you know, what we teach and what we come up with, we just think is, is just really something else. No, that's not colossal. That's colossal failure. Really, that's what that is, colossal, colossal failure. But when we come back to the book of Colossians chapter 1, we're going to see some things that really are colossal. All right, let's notice here in Colossians chapter 1 now. <clears throat> and let's begin then in verse 9. Paul talks about his prayer, his prayer for the saints. He records uh, his prayer for the saints here. And we're going to see here in chapter 1, I mean, some really big, humongous thoughts, grand thoughts, immense thoughts. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease uh, to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled with, all, uh, with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And I mean, this is interesting. Paul praying, he's not even among them, but he's somewhere else, but he's praying for these brethren. That's, that's pretty fantastic of how we can talk to God wherever we are and we can even pray about other people and that's what Paul's doing. 
In verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's Paul's prayer for the saints there. All the saints. That's certainly his desire. And that ought to be our desire. Verse 11, strengthen, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us uh, fit to be partakers of, <clears throat> of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And that's, that's, that's immense, that we're all in the light. For those that follow Christ, we're in fellowship, we're in the light of God's word, and we are rejoicing in this great knowledge and this great wisdom, these great blessings. Then notice what he goes on to say in verse 13. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. That's Satan's domain, Satan's kingdom. And has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You see, when you obey the gospel, it doesn't make any difference where you are. You're translated into the kingdom of his dear son. I mean, I see reports of brethren in various places, I mean, around the world. And you see people obeying the gospel, people making their life right, people learning about, uh, about the Lord, being baptized into Christ, into His kingdom. And they're members of the same kingdom that we're members of. And that, that's, that's enormous. That we're in a, a worldwide organization that is of God's people. A relationship that we enjoy throughout the world in the kingdom of God, in the universal church. He says in verse 14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. How big is that? That Jesus who died on the cross, He died for all of us. And through His shed blood we can be forgiven. Paul's going to talk about that, and we'll look about that more on down in the chapter here, but that's enormous. That's colossal. That's that's fantastic concept of our forgiveness and redemption. And then notice here verses 15 and 16. 15 and 16. This is colossal. This is humongous. It says, Who, that is speaking of Jesus, who is in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him, that is by Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones and dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus created everything. I mean, go to the mountains, you look at all these big, gigantic mountains. Well, Jesus created them. You go to the ocean and you look across the ocean and you water as far as you can see. I mean, it's just so immense, the, the ocean. Or you're in an airplane. I've crossed over the Pacific and various places, Gulf of Mexico, uh, across uh, uh, the more southern part of the, of the Pacific Ocean, and hours and hours. You're in an airplane traveling uh, 650 miles an hour, and all you see is water, 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 hour after hour. Well, who created that? Well, that Jesus created that. He was the instrument that created all things. And just how vast this world that we live in. I mean, you take a trip out west, and how many hours, if you're driving, how many hours you're just driving and driving and driving. You're, you're driving for like three days, like 10 or 12 hours a day. I mean, the world is vast. It's immense. Well, who created that? Well, God, Jesus, the visible things, the invisible things. I mean, like gravity, we don't see gravity, but we see the effects of it because here we are. We're stationary here on planet Earth. He created invisible forces like gravity. 
and uh, the various uh, uh, forms of light, of ultraviolet uh, uh, and infrared light and the whole spectrum of life and uh, 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 light and radio waves. I mean, God created all these things. I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. He created the moon, he created the sun, he created all the stars, the galaxies that are out in the world. I mean, you think how vast our universe is. It's just incredible. There's so many stars on, on, a, on a place where it's kind of dark. You don't have a lot of light pollution. On a clear night, it, I mean, it looks like you think you're looking at a cloud, but you're actually looking at the Milky Way galaxy. And that's just so many stars that you're seeing, it, it sort of kind of gives a little uh, look like a faint cloud. That, I mean, that's tremendous. All of it was created by Christ Jesus. That's, that's a colossal concept. And then notice there in verse 17, And He is before all things, and by Him all things are held together. And so Jesus is the sustainer. He holds it all together. Why does the planet, you know, turn every 24 hours a day? And why do we have the four seasons? Because God is the sustainer. Jesus is the sustainer. I mean, that's tremendous. That, that's incredible. I mean, we think about God creating everything and how God created everything. And God created the family and God created male and female. And we have all these people that, that ha they think they have their colossal concepts of the, of the 54 genders now they talk about and the redefining of marriage. No, let us look at what God says because that is the way it is. That's the truth that we need to hold to. And we need to follow the truth that is found in Christ Jesus. And that He's the Creator. He's the Sustainer. And you can just bank on the change of night and day. Why? Because Jesus sustains all that. Why doesn't planet Earth just go flying out further into the, into the universe? And get away from the sun? No, because Jesus is upholding all things. And that's, that's colossal to think about. That the precision, you know, it's kind of interesting, like a couple of years ago or so when uh, we had the total uh, eclipse, or maybe three or four years ago, and they've already predicted the next one that's going to come across the United States. I think it's 2023. How could they predict that? Well, because of the precision and Jesus' ability to sustain the universe that we live in. That, that's that, that's mind-boggling of how he controls the planets and, and the moon and the phases of the moon. And, and you know, they'll make calendars and they're going to say, well, this, the, the, and they'll tell you when there's going to be a lunar eclipse. There's going to be a total eclipse of the sun, a partial eclipse, right, etc. All these things are because of the precision of how Jesus sustains the world that we live in. And then drop on down in verses 18 and 19. Here's another colossal concept i mean a huge concept not only is jesus the creator of all things not only is he the sustainer but he's the head of the church and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have preeminence for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell jesus the head of the church that is his people his body wherever the body of the Lord is. That is, Christians all around the world, He's the head of it. You know, I mean, it's, I, I've met a lot of people. I've traveled to several different countries, been in lots of congregations. And you know what? Jesus knows every one of these saints. He knows them all by name. He knows their heart. He, he's there with them. He walks with them. I mean, it's incredible. 
That, that, that is mind-boggling to think about the incredible wisdom of God and Jesus being the head of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. And what does that mean, firstborn from the dead? That is the first never to die again. He's like the first fruits. Uh, Paul uses that phrase there in the book of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's the first fruits. It's kind of like I got, I got some tomatoes growing in my backyard. And you got all these little green tomatoes, and you get that first ripe tomato. That's the first fruit. When it comes to the resurrection, Jesus was the first fruit. That is the first uh, to be raised from the dead, never die again. Other people were raised before him, but they, they would die later. But Jesus is the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. Again, that's, that's colossal. And the first fruits is the promise that there's going to be more fruit to come. Jesus raised, being raised from the dead is the assurance that we're all going to be raised from the dead at the end of time. That's, that's, that's mind-boggling. I mean, that's colossal. That's huge. That's gigantic to think about the general resurrection of everybody being raised from the dead. Isn't that fantastic? That, that, those are colossal concepts. And then drop on down now in verse... Uh, 20 and 21. It says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him reconcile all things unto him. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Reconciliation in Christ Jesus. That's colossal. Uh, one of the uh, Roman historians made the comment, the gods may forgive, but I don't see how. Well, when we look at the cross, we can see how God, a just God, can forgive, being merciful, and yet maintain justice in the moral universe. That, that, who would have thought of it but God? Who could have done that but Jesus? And so through the blood of His cross... We are reconciled. That is, here we're alienated because of sin, and now we are joined together. We're in fellowship, reconciliation. At one time, we were alienated, enemies in your mind by wicked works, and so we're separated from God because of our sin or transgressions. But how can a holy God dwell with unholy people? Forgiveness. And once we find this forgiveness, we come into this fellowship, this union, this reconciliation, and that's, that is tremendous. That is, that is gigantic. That's colossal. Yeah, that's a colossal concept Paul's talking about here in Colossians chapter 1. And so here we have Jesus as the creator. Jesus is the sustainer. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus died for everybody that we can be reconciled. And then I want to notice one more here as we drop on down in our text Notice picking up in verse 25. Paul says, Of which I am made a minister, according to the commission of God, which is given uh, to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of his mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, this, this is fantastic that we can all be made complete Jews and Gentiles in the one body. Paul says in verse 28, whom we preach, who we preach, Jesus, the hope of glory, 
whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, that's an important point here. Three times Paul says, every man, every man, every man. Why do we need to emphasize that? Because the Gnostics who were following human wisdom, following cunningly devised fables in their own mind, puffed up thinking that, oh boy, we have great thoughts. No, because it was only for a select few. You know, only a few uh, elite into, uh, intellectual individuals are going to get this knowledge and, uh, of the Gnostic teachings. That is because it was so ridiculous that you'd have to be uh, really smart to try to, to accept all this and just forget everything else. Not so in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, whether you have an eighth grade education or less, or whether you are a college graduate and you have multiple degrees, in Christ Jesus, everybody, everybody is made whole and complete in Christ Jesus. It doesn't make any difference what color you are. It doesn't make any difference whether you're rich or poor, whether you're white or black. It doesn't make any difference. In Christ Jesus, every man, Every man can be complete and perfect in Christ Jesus. For which I also labor, striving according to the working who works in me mightily. And then you notice there in chapter 2 and verse 10, And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In Christ, we're complete. Everything that we need to be is in Christ. And it's for every man. The invitation goes out to all. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. And everybody. It doesn't make any difference whether you're super intelligence or just average intelligence. Whether you're super good looking or you're sort of homely. It doesn't make any difference. Whether you're white or black. It doesn't make any difference. In Christ, we can all be right in the sight of God and enjoy this fellowship that's in the Son of God. That's colossal. And that's interesting how the Bible, I mean, you take this book, yeah, it's translated into different languages because people speak different languages. And you know, the interesting thing is it works in every society. I've, like I said, I've preached to a lot of different people in different, different, uh, different uh, countries. And it's just amazing how the Bible is so practical. How it functions, how it works. And, and you'll see people nodding, yeah, they're getting it, they're understanding it. I mean, humble hearts that are seeking after God, that seek after His wisdom, it, it fits, they, they recognize. That, that's colossal. You, you look at some of the human wisdoms, well, it doesn't seem to function everywhere. But the Bible, the Word of God, yeah, it functions everywhere you go. People that are just take the time to listen to it. Because it speaks in language we can understand. It is so profound and so great. And it is indeed gigantic and colossal to understand the great wisdom of God and all these concepts that we've looked at here this morning. Yeah, we need to always be seeking divine wisdom and not be deceived by human wisdom, which they think is colossal and great. Well, we're glad for the opportunity. Let us go to God in prayer as we conclude our, our time together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word, the Bible. We thank you for these tremendously, uh, these tremendous concepts, these colossal concepts, these humongous great concepts that you teach us in your word. 
that indeed you and your son, you created the world, you uphold all things. Jesus is the head of the church, that we, we can find uh, reconciliation, and yes, it is offered for everybody. We thank you, we praise you uh, for these glorious blessings, and help us to look forward to the time that we can one day be with uh, you and your son. The hope of glory that we read about, that that another great colossal concept. We just thank you, praise you, and give you honor. Thanks for all these great blessings. We pray that you would help those that are sick, especially of your children. We pray for your people everywhere. Pray for the congregation here that we'll continue to try to uphold truth and righteousness, to love one another, and to be a, a family as you would have us to be. Be with your people in all places and help your people wherever they are striving to do your will. Just thank you for all good blessings. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope of salvation. And just thank you for all that you do in each and every day. For we ask all these blessings and favors in Christ's name. Amen.